title is Where You Start a Sermon in the Morning, of course. Um, and sometimes we hope for, for better skies outside, of course, and nice, nice warm sun shining down on us. This isn't the case today, though. Let's face it, though, church, sometimes um, our disobedience, it, it cannot be a fun thing. You know, uh, being disobedient to God is not a good thing. It doesn't bring around uh, an enjoyable time for you. There's, there's no peace there. It doesn't bring bright, bright, sun, sunny days like, like this song did from that great movie, um, Cool Runnings. It doesn't do that for you. There, there, there are no blue skies all around you. Instead, when you're in disobedience, it feels like there's rain that's just coming down on you all the time. Perhaps there's fear in your life like, like lightning. Um, perhaps the wind knocks you down in your disobedience. And perhaps you have an upset stomach because of your disobedience. There's, there's a grumbling there. there there's pain. There's, there's bad feelings within. And let's face it, when you're in disobedience, you feel downright awful. You don't feel like the song at all. You feel like dirt, perhaps. Because disobedience is not enjoyable. Disobedience is never enjoyable. You know, and I remember a time in my life, an occurrence that happened where I, I was disobedient. I was disobedient to God, I was disobedient to my parents, and, and I lied. I came up with this incredible, elaborate story um, to, to cover myself of the wrongdoing, and I had it down pat. Um, I went to my mom, and I, I sold it on her. Um, she believed me, which I was surprised by. But as I walked away from talking with my mom, my mom, who loved me so much, I felt horrible. I felt horrible. The Holy Spirit began to churn within me. Stephen, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I felt more and more conviction. I, I felt sick. And I knew what I had done was wrong. So within a few minutes of this great lie, I went to my mom. I went and I knocked on her door. She was studying late at night, as was often the case. I had no idea what the consequences would be. Um, and believe me, she was not happy when I told her that, that I had lied to her. And she was very candid with me, very direct, which I'm thankful for, that I have a mom who, who did so. Because she loves me. But then those came those words, that, those words that I really didn't want to hear, and it drove fear down my spine even more. You need to go tell your father the truth in the morning. Tomorrow morning, once you wake up from your sleep, from your slumber, you need to go and tell your dad. I'll be honest, I laid there that night. I toiled all night. I sweated. I didn't sleep much. I just tossed and turned back and forth. I had been disobedient. And I had to go and talk to my dad about it. The next morning, I bet I stood on top of the, the staircase, the, the long staircase that led down to our den. I bet I was there for five six, seven minutes, just with my, my toes dangling off the top step, heart pounding away, knowing that I was going to take that long trek down, and I began to walk. I began to walk down those stairs, so afraid and so very humble. You know, sometimes I wonder, I wonder this, I wonder how Jonah felt in his disobedience. You know, I wonder how lonely and scared um, it must have been, because he had a real-life storm um, that, that came into his life, and it ended for, for nice calm and peaceful skies and, and weather for others, but, but not for him. And as you may recall, a few weeks ago, Pastor Wayne came and he began to preach through, through Jonah. And, and uh, primarily he dealt with the first chapter. And as we well know from the story of Jonah, is that Jonah was, was told to go and he had a task that was given to him, to go to Nineveh, to, to call out against him for their evil had come up before the Lord. He was to do so. After all, Jonah was a prophet. This is what prophets do. They go and they speak on behalf of the Lord to his people or two people. His name, it meant dove. 
which often symbolizes peace. But Jonah, that's the last thing he wanted for these people. That's the last thing he wanted for them. He didn't want them to have peace. He hated the Assyrians. He hated the Assyrians for what he had done to, to their people. And as you may recall, instead of obeying the Lord, what does he do? He flees. He flees to a place called Tarshish, a place where he could get far away as he could from Nineveh, a place where he could have peace to live his life the way that he wanted to live his life, apart from fully serving the Lord. We see this, this great resistance come before us, the great resistance to, to go. He rejects the very commands of God. He doesn't go. We see this great resistance to perhaps bringing this life-changing message to the people that need it most, and he doesn't go. He shows a total resistance to, to go and to help this enemy that needs the Lord. This great city of close to a million people is what it says. So we know in return what happens to Jonah. What happens is that, that God, he hurls with, the, with great force, he throws this storm on the boat that Jonah's on. The sailors, they're, they're wigging out. They don't know what to do. They've never seen a storm like this. They're, they're grabbing their cargo. They're throwing it off the boat. They're running around frantically, calling out to their pagan gods, not knowing what to do. And where do we have Jonah? We have Jonah sitting in the bottom of the boat asleep. You know, church, sometimes I wonder if that's how we are. The world around us is clamoring. They're in peril. They're going to perish. We have the life-giving message, yet we sleep. We don't go and we don't give it to them. Well, eventually we know that, that Jonah, he, he, he says, hey, I'm the reason for this, this storm. I'm the reason for it. So they take him and they, they toss him off the boat um, into the water after some long times of, of worrying about what would happen to, to, these, to these sailors. And we know that, that God appointed a great fish. And this great fish came and he swallowed Jonah where he would be for three days and for three nights. So we see this great resistance in the life of Jonah, this very man of God. Well, this morning, I want to continue on. I'm going to continue on going through the, through the book of Jonah, and you will continue on there next week um, as well. So if you have your Bible, would you please turn with me to the book of Jonah? It's in between Obadiah and Micah. Um, if you're a page number guy like me, 1364 um, is where you can find it. In my Bible, at least, that's where um, it is at. And let's look at Jonah um, again today. And do me a favor as we come to this, because you know the end of the story. Pretend this is the first time you've heard it. And stick right where we're at with this chapter um, right here. So I'll be reading from chapter 2 through 3, 2. Then Jonah, he prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed up around me forever, yet you, you brought me up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who, who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out of, onto dry land. Then the word, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Wow. Here we see 
an awesome turn in this awesome story. We, we see Jonah up to this point. He, he's a man, he's, he's a prophet that really hasn't said much. Now we see him opening up his mouth and he says quite a bit here. You know, and finally, for those of you who have ever wondered, the question of what did Jonah do inside of this great fish has been answered clearly. All right? He wasn't in there playing rook or anything like that. No, he was awake. He, he was conscious, um, at least part of the time, inside this great fish. He had enough oxygen to, to live, enough oxygen to, to speak. So from inside this great fish, what do we see him doing? What do we see him doing? We see him praying. He prays this, this incredible, picturesque prayer um, for us to, to God. And prayer, what it does is it shows true dependence on God. It shows trust in God. And, and in this prayer, we see many things this morning. A few of what, what I want to unpack for you. First thing we see as he's praying, we see truthfulness. We see truthfulness in Jonah's prayer. You know, Jonah is truthful about the misery and the trouble that he is in. In verse 1, he says he's in distress. It means he's, he's got extreme anxiety. He's got sorrow. He's got pain. Okay, surely it didn't feel great to be swallowed by a great fish. We see in verse 3 that, that he, he's cast into the deep or the depths of, or the heart of the sea and, and this flood, this flood surrounds him. In other words, he has the whole ocean around him. And that word flood here, it means river. I can just picture, I can just imagine the, the river of salt water coming in and out, in and out over him as he's sitting there. I can't imagine how that would be. I don't know about you, but I have an immense fear of drowning. If you've ever seen me swim, um, those, who, those of you who have, you know that. I swim crazily. I swim like a, a bear chasing a salmon. So I can't imagine, okay, that's me. Um, I can't imagine how I must have felt for him. Cast into the deep. Verse 4 says he feels that he is out of God's sight. Here's where it really gets scary. There's a great loneliness there. It would be hot. It would be dark. Surely it would be stinky inside this great fish. Um, and to be without God, it would be totally horrific. I can't imagine that. The water was closing in to take his life. He was in the deep of the ocean. He even had weeds wrapped around his head, as it says in verse 5. Not even sure if he could wiggle, wiggle around to get them off of his face. If you're like me, I don't like to suffocate. So I'm sure that didn't feel good either. So he's in misery. He's in trouble. Do we ever admit that when we come to prayer? Do we ever admit our misery and our trouble that we're in? Jonah, he's also truthful about why he's there. Don't miss this. He's truthful about why he's there. Verse 3 says, you God, you cast me into the sea. Jonah messed up. He was disobedient towards God. And it was God and his sovereignty that caused that great fish to come and, of course, and to swallow him after that great storm that God had hurled onto that boat caused the sailors to finally throw him off. So he acknowledges this. He's truthful about the situation that, that he is in. Well, here's where it turns towards you and I. This morning, is there truthfulness in your prayers? Are you truthful in your prayers? Am I truthful in mine? And think over this last week. As you've gone to the Lord in prayer, have you expressed yourself truthfully to God? Did you get specific with Him? Or were you just general when you talked to Him? Were you real with Him? Maybe you've been ignoring, maybe you've been suppressing some disobedience in your life, ongoing, and the Holy Spirit is coming at you time and time again, and you keep pushing it away. Is there truthfulness in your prayers? Is there truthfulness in mine? Let's, let's be honest here. He knows anyhow. God already knows, so why not be truthful? We see truthfulness in Jonah's prayer. He's truthful with God. We also see this. We also see confession 
in Jonah's prayer. We see confession. He shows this, this deep sorrow for, for the sin, and he agrees with God. That's what it is. It's not just, hey, God, my bad. Sorry, God, I didn't mean to do this. But it's this tr- true, real, deep sorrow. It's humiliation over sin. He, he agrees with, with God, and then he does a 180-degree turn from, from, from himself to God. And Jonah does this. He acknowledges, he confesses that everything happened was really his fault. Yes, the Lord in his sovereignty made it happen, but it was his fault that he did this. He deserved what happened to him. We see this in verses 7 and 8. It says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Or, as the NIV says, forfeits the grace that could be theirs. You know, an, an idol is anything that takes the place of God. That's why it's a lower G. Um, if, if you ever look at the word God, it's a lower G God. And Jonah, he tried to take the place of God himself. Jonah thought he knew what was best. Hey, I'm Mr. Prophet. I know what's best. This is what is best for, for your people, God. Let me do this. And in doing so, he forsook his loyalty to a faithful God, to his faithful God. And he confesses to this. He confesses. We also see there's, there's no hidden motive here. In this prayer, we don't see a hidden motive. It wasn't, you know, hey, um, God, do this and I'll do this. There wasn't any of that going on here. It was true confession. He was simply truly deeply and sorrowful for his disobedience towards God. So the question that comes to us is when we come to the Lord in prayer, when I come to the Lord in prayer, do we have real confession? Do we agree with God with what we have done wrong? And there's a real repentance there. We say, God, you're right. I'm going to turn um, from this. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to, to commit, Lord, to, to doing this or that, whatever it may be. We see it here in Jonah's prayer. We also see something else that's kind of surprising. We see thanksgiving in his prayer. Thanksgiving. It's when we give praise to God for what he's done for us. Verse 9, it says, But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Now, I wonder what in the world would Jonah swallow by a great fish in the midst of the ocean, waiting to, to die, basically, be thankful about? What could he be possibly be thankful about? There's no physical deliverance of this predicament yet. We don't see it happening yet. Okay? He's still inside this great fish. He had no idea what the outcome would be, yet he's thankful. He's thankful. It was a spiritual deliverance that he was thankful for. It was thankful to God that he turned him from his great disobedience that caused him once again to, to look and to call out to the Lord again. Instead of running away from him, running to him. He was thankful for salvation. A saving relationship with God and for, for God's great grace, an unmerited favor given towards him. Here's the thing, if you're a child of God here today, are you truly thankful for God's grace and God's mercy in your life? Am I truly thankful for God's grace and mercy in my life? Does this, does this find our way into our prayers when we come to Him? Does it translate into thanksgiving as we come to Him and we, and we pray? Are we thankful for that? That, that, that this, this is coming by Him. It's grace alone, through faith. It's not of your own doing that you were saved. It's a gift of God so that no person can boast. You know, I hope that that's the case for you. I hope it's the case for me all the more that we are thankful. Thankful to Him. But if you're not a child of the living God, my prayer is that today, this morning, this week, sometime, that God will draw you to Himself and that you'll admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. And He's died for your sins. 
took your sin debt to the cross. He took it and bore it upon himself, was crucified for you, buried for you, and risen on the third day to show that he has power over sin, which is death, and power to, to be come back to life. How awesome it is to have eternal life with him. Be thankful. If you're a believer, if you're an unbeliever, be thankful that he loves you enough that he sent his son for you as well. And today, you can enter into a relationship with him. So he was thankful. Lastly, we see this. We see sacrifice and a vow within his prayer. Verse 9 says, But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah sacrifices. You may say, well, how did he do that? He pushed his own agenda out of the way. He pushed his own desire out of the way and said, God, I will follow. I'll follow you. How often do we try to put our own agenda before God's? Where does it get us? I think the greatest enemy of best is good. Sometimes we think we know what is good, but God knows what's best. If we just lean on him and go towards him. So Jonah sacrifices. He also promises, God, if you so desire to do in the future, um, what you can do while I'm in this belly of this great fish, perhaps, you know, I'll go to Nineveh. Maybe that was thinking in his mind. I don't know. But, but he promises to, to go and to be about God's business. So I ask you, I ask myself, are there sacrifices and vows in your prayers when you come to Him? Do you push your agenda to the side? Do you say, hey God, show me. Hey God, direct me. Not my will, but yours. Lord, I will decrease so that you can increase, God. Do you do that? And do you promise? Do you have promise that you come to this Lord? I promise I will do this in, what, in light of what you've told me, what you've spoken to me. We see this in Jonah's prayer. You know, after this prayer, at some point, the Lord in His sovereignty spoke to the great fish. I don't think it's like the, the famous movie we see, speaking whale, you know. But He spoke to the great fish and it vomited Jonah up onto land, on the dry land. And this great fish beat itself and up came Jonah in His pale glory. Um, but there's something we can't overlook here. Sometimes I, I have before. There's always a, there's the other side of this, this coin, so to speak, of Jonah's prayer. Here it is. It's this. It's simple. God's at work. God is at work. We see this clearly that God hears and answers the cries of His people. In verse 2 it says, I called to the Lord out of my distress and He answered me. He answered me. Even in our loneliest times, He's there listening and He will answer in His timing. And He'll do what is best. How comforting that is to know that He hears us even when we may not feel like it. We also see that God is sovereign. He's the one who appointed the great fish. He's the one who cast Jonah into the deep. He's the one who causes his waves and his billows to pass over Jonah. It's God who brought Jonah up from the pit, as the, as the word says. And it's, it is God who is sovereign of salvation, and it belongs to the Lord, as we saw. It is God who saves. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We can't miss these important truths. We can't miss those. But I love this story because the story doesn't end there. Doesn't end there. Jonah's on the beach again in his pale glory. <laughs> what does God do? What does God do? You know, for a moment, I want you to put yourself in God's shoes, if He has shoes. I want you to put yourself there. If you were God, what would you do based on what Jonah had just done? What would you do? How gracious would you be? How merciful would you be towards Jonah? I know for me, I'd be like, Jonah, you're done being Mr. Prophet. 
Bye-bye. You know, hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back. No more, no more, no more. See you later. I'm glad you repented, but really, you know, you're no use to me. And he could have done that. God could have easily done that. He could have accomplished his mission apart from Jonah. We have to realize that he could use anybody. But I love what it says in verses 1 and 2. What does he do? He comes to Jonah a second time. Then the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. You know, God doesn't change his plan. He doesn't change his message because of Jonah's disobedience. No. But he comes again to Jonah. God gives Jonah another shot. And how awesome of God is that? There's a great renewal that we see happen there. You know, when you think about it, if we go and we look at the Bible, we can look all through it. You see all the people that, that God has given another shot. Let's look at a couple. Abram. Abraham. God called him to go to the land that I will show you. Abraham, go to the land I will show you. What does Abraham do? He stops halfway. He doesn't follow through. What does God do? He comes again to him. Moses. God revealed to him early in his life that he would be the one used by God that to rescue his people. What does he end up doing? He ends up killing an Egyptian thinking he knew what was best in that moment, flees, and 40 years later, God comes to him again in a burning bush for him to go and complete the task that he has for him. And I think of Peter. Oh, Peter, <laughs> he talked it up big time. I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. We see when, when, he was, when Christ was taken, what does Peter do? As he's at least there hanging around, he ends up denying him. Yet, what does he do? He comes to Peter. He restores him again. Have we ever stopped short of what God has called us to do? Probably so. Have we ever taken matters into our own hands and say, hey God, I know what's best for my life? Probably so as well. Have we ever denied Christ and not spoken of Him or stood up for Him when we could have? Fortunately so. Have we ever disobeyed God and ran from Him? What happens? What happens? Does, does God throw us to the side as trash to be trampled on? Does He abandon us? I'm done? No. Praise be to God, no. He disciplines us, yes. Thankful for His discipline. Even though it hurts sometimes, I'm thankful for it. But after doing though, He brings us back to a true place of, of repentance. He returns a second time and He puts us back into service for Him. The Lord comes a second time, a tenth time, a fifteenth time, a hundred times, a thousandth time, if necessary. He's faithful when we're faithless. Yes, amen to that. And His grace, it blows me away. We deserve death. He gives us life. We deserve His full wrath. He gives us peace. We don't deserve a second chance, but we receive one. You know, and perhaps you find yourself at that place of some of these people we just talked about. Perhaps you, you've convinced yourself, you know, the enemy has come to you. Maybe you convince yourself or the enemy itself that, that you're not worth it, anything because of your past failings. Past or present. You know, I pray that this morning that you will see that, that you know, if you're a child of, of God, He will put you back into service for Him. He will. Come to Him. Confess. Repent. You know, I, I can't help but to think back to, to the recommissioning of Peter in John chapter 21. As you remember, after Christ was crucified, He came and He appeared to the disciples a few times, several times. And one such time was when John and Peter um, and some other disciples are out fishing. They're on their boats and they're out fishing. And fishing can be tiresome, 
especially when you're not catching anything, and they tried all night and they hadn't caught anything. And then Jesus shows up on the scene that next morning, tells them to cast their nets on the other side, and, and they do, and they get this huge catch. And then John realizes, hey, that's Jesus. And I love what happens here is because Peter, he doesn't, he doesn't hide himself in fear even though he's denied Christ three times. He doesn't try to get in the boat and to paddle away. No, what does he do? He pulls the forest gump, takes his clothes, puts them back on, jumps off into the water and swims that 100 plus yards to get to Christ while the others bring back the great catch with him. And I love, I love, I love that, uh, the words that come out of Christ's mouth as he talks to Peter that morning on the beach as they, as they, as they break breakfast to, together. And it's the verses uh, 15 through 19. Listen to what it says. It's John 21, 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of God, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of God, or Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he answered him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Here it is. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. We see this great renewal of Peter there. Jesus once again saying, hey, Peter, Follow me. So this morning, for those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus, those of you who never committed and given your life to Him, uh, I pray that, that you will approach Him today. That, that you will come and cast all your burdens and cares on Him, for He cares for you. Though you may be weary and burdened, He will give you rest. He'll give you rest. Come to Him. Come to Him. You know, I'm thankful I'm thankful that I had in my life an earthly father who reflected my heavenly father the best that he can. He wasn't perfect, but he always has. You know, and in that morning, as I made my way down those stairs, and I found myself into the den, and I came, and I sat on that nice sofa, and my dad came in and sat in his man chair, is what I call it, his recliner there that only he could sit in. My heart was racing, and I felt horrible. Because I had to admit to my dad what I had done and tell him the truth. So I explained to him. My dad didn't say a word. He didn't say a word to me. Then he got up from his chair and he, he walked out of the room. In that moment, I felt like dirt. In that moment, I felt all alone because of what I had done. And what felt like Two minutes was probably like 15 seconds, 20 seconds. And then my dad, he entered back into the room and he had his Bible in his hand. And he sat down and he opened up the Word to me and began to read. He began to, to speak truth back to me. Yes, words of discipline, but also words of love, words of grace, 
words of mercy coming from my dad. I will never forget that day. Never. There's such power in God's word. My friend, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I'd love to open up the word for you and point you the way to Jesus Christ. My friend, if you're here today and you're going through a rough time and you feel like God is done with you, he's not. He's not. He could put you back in the service for him. Come, confess, repent to him. And you will have, like that song said, it will be a bright, bright, sunshiny day for you. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word, God, this morning. Lord, as we see this, this picturesque prayer um, of Jonah. Lord, a prayer that shows us many things. God, ultimately a prayer that points to, to confession and to repentance, Lord, when needed. Father, I know there's maybe some today that need to do that very thing, Lord, whether it be where they sit, Lord, whether they need to come up front, wherever it may be, Lord, there's, there's confession that needs to happen. They need to agree with your word, and they need to repent of their ways, Lord, and do that 180, God, knowing that you are there, Lord, that they can grab your hand and you will walk with them. So, Father, I pray for that today. Only you know where that needs to happen. I don't know, but you do. Lord, I pray for some here today that, that need salvation. Lord, we know fully that it belongs to you. You save. You're the one who, who frees others, Lord, to hear biblical truth. And I pray, Lord, that today or whenever it may be that they will be freed to hear biblical truth and come into a relationship with you. Do the work that only you can do, Father. Lord, and I pray that we all remember your sovereignty, that we all remember that you are in control and ultimately you know what is best for us. May we always give our life to you. May we always trust and obey you, Lord, in everything we do and everything that we say. Thank you again, God. We love you. In the most gracious name that I pray. Amen. If there's any type of decision or anything going on in your life that you need prayer for, if you want to come up front and pray, you can, or pray where you're seated, it's up to you. All I ask is this, is that you do business with God, whatever form, whatever fashion it is that He, he is calling you to do. Be obedient. Be obedient to it. If you don't know the Lord, I would love, again, open up His Word and lead you um, there so you can fully experience salvation and know, know Christ. You do what you need to do this morning.